0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand so that we will turn to you and live. Um, One of my, there's maybe five or six things I really enjoy about being a pastor. Here's some I don't. one of the ones things I most enjoy is having the chance to stand before you and to speak to you God's grace and peace, and then have you speak it back to me. And on those rare occasions when I happen to be somewhere else um, doing a pastor thing, um, I'm always struck by how when I stand up, at least in most environments, and I say grace and peace to you, nobody will answer me back. <laughs> um... And that feels pretty lonely, um, but I uh, I really appreciate that. So the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to each of you. Amen. Jesus. Open our eyes so we can see. Open our ears so we can hear. Open our mind and our heart so we can understand. So we'll turn to you and live. Amen. Well, can't miss the fact that uh, in a week where it seems like our divisions, our anger, our fear has never been more acute. We read these words from the prophet who tells us that God is gonna create uh, a city of peace, a city of shalom, a new kind of world. And most of us live with a yearning for a new kind of world, a world of goodness, a world where wrongs are righted. Even if we have wildly different visions of what this new world looks like or how to get there, most of us want it. Things like elections are our collective attempts to help this new world happen. They're always, to some degree or another, disappointing now, or in the future, we're tempted to think that this new world is primarily our idea. It's our human judgments about the way the world should be. The prophet Isaiah rejects that idea, though. The prophet Isaiah tells us that this new world is actually at the center of God's agenda for the world. Behold, God tells the people, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. If you ache for a world of wholeness, for a place of joy and welcome, for a place of righteousness and goodness, for a place free from fear, a place of immense flourishing, friendship, laughter, then whether you know it or not, you are reflecting a vision that God has implanted into your heart. You may not even like God, but if you feel these things, you're actually on God's side. Dang it. (laughs) And what is God's vision for this new world? We could go to lots of places, and what I'm going to say today, um, as short-sighted and collapsed as it is by my own vision, is also collapsed by, I'm just looking at one little text, (laughs) And we could roam the scriptures, and we could build a far more comprehensive picture of what this vision is. But the lectionary today gave us one, and it's in Isaiah. I'm just going to review some of the things that we heard. In this new vision that God gives, all sadness and sorrow are removed. The streets, every neighborhood, every home is filled with joy. There's parties everywhere. The scripture says this really interesting thing that the people themselves will be a joy. It's not only that we will feel joy, that we will actually be a joy to God and to neighbor. In this new world, the cause for weeping and tears will have evaporated. In this city, there is a solidity and an order that yields fruitfulness and loving, long, flourishing, joyful life. Now it's important for us to hear here that these are not just miraculous realities in some kind of mystified heaven, but rather a firmly rooted social order that makes this city in God's new world a place of shalom and flourishing and well-being. It's not merely that God waves a wand over the world and we all become better. It's that we become the kind of people living in a kind of society that God longs for us to live in. It is the fulfillment of humanity redeemed by Jesus the Christ. And in this new Shalom City in God's new world, babies don't die because they don't have medical care or because of disease or malnutrition. The scriptures say that these babies live. No children are discarded because they're not wanted. No people are discarded because they're not wanted. In this new city, Isaiah tells us that everyone actually expects to live a long life. They build houses. They live in them. They enjoy them. And these are homes of shalom and joy for the neighborhood. In this new city, the scriptures say there is an economic freedom and stability where everyone has enough to be well. In this new world, we will work hard and enjoy the pleasures of our work, and the nobility of our work and the capacity for it is there. In this new world, God makes no children, as Isaiah says, are doomed to misfortune. Violence and cycles of poverty. And the destruction of, so, of our social fabric and communities and the ongoing sin of racism and families, they're all healed. And there's hope for a good life for everyone. And the scripture says, this city will be a delight. In the same way that the people are a joy, the city is a delight. And the city in God's new world, the center of it is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jeru Shalom, the city of Shalom, the city of peace. And when the city is a place of Shalom, it means peace for everybody. And while elections are always disappointing to a number of us, that's what perhaps feels different this time around, that there's more fear, more rejection, more seething anger, and now it's spilling out. And you know, I was thinking this week about just watching the news, watching things on the Facebook feed, hearing conversations. How dest- destructive we're being. I had tears um, this week uh, because two things from opposite spectrums that I saw, one I witnessed in a more personal way, one I saw images and pictures of. I saw someone gloating and with a kind of, the kind of anger that you just see in someone's eyes and it, it, it scares you. Uh, speaking to a Muslim refugee and saying with sincere anger, get out, I've wanted you out this whole time and take a gift basket of bacon with you. In a city of Shalom, that doesn't happen. I also saw a video, as I'm sure some of you did, of someone being attacked because supposedly they voted for Trump. In a city of Shalom, that doesn't happen. In the city that Jesus envisions, there is something new that happens that doesn't allow us to see someone as only the other. And now we find a moment where those who are most vulnerable are most afraid. In reading the prophets and reading Jesus, we find out that God's always on the side of the vulnerable, God's always on the side of the poor, God's always on the side of those who are at risk. And whoever we voted for, whoever we didn't vote for, whoever we abstained from, however this played out, as Christians, we have to stand with the vulnerable. We have to reach out to the other. And maybe this is some kind of gift that we're receiving in these moments in our civic life, is that perhaps in certain spheres of our friendships and conversations and neighborhoods, it's actually more clear to us who we see as the other. And perhaps the other isn't everyone that you thought they were. Perhaps the other is more people than you thought they were. As a Christian, we always reach out to the other. We always listen. We always receive and welcome. But this is tricky business when the other really is the other. This isn't a kumbaya moment where we just sort of pull out our guitars and sit around the fireplace and forget all of our differences because there are some things that some of us really believe that we really believe. But once we see the other, whoever that other is, once we see that other in flat, monochrome tones. Once someone is merely identified by who they voted for, God help us You are a beautiful image bearer of the living God. Every person you encounter is a beautiful image bearer of the living God. And that means as Christians we honor that and respect that. And then we commit to the very long and very hard work of trying to understand what it means to step forward into this life of shalom that God says we're pointing to and says live toward it now. But how do we do this? How do we actually step into that? Particularly when the platitudes fall short, particularly when the easy calls to some kind of false unity also fall short, none of those things actually are receiving and welcoming the other. Just a couple things. Because I'm a Christian Because I believe in the God of Scripture and the kingdom that God calls me to, I believe that this new way of Shalom, in the end, when it's all said and done, requires God. Our human efforts, our politics, our activism, our ideals, important as they all are, must always be understood in the Christian vision of things as our flawed efforts to try to be faithful to God's future. A future we can't understand entirely. A future that actually requires the intervention of the God who created us. We cannot completely rely upon our own vision, independent of God, of what a good world looks like. We need God's wisdom. And my hunch is that when the holy and righteous creator of the world stands before us with God's vision, all of us are going to be shifted. And yet, the story in Isaiah also very much resists, as Isaiah just told us, an evacuation from the realities of our world. To say it requires God does not remove us to some remote future where we don't actually grapple with the brokenness that surrounds us and the injustice that surrounds us. It actually engages us in it. We are to be faithful and present and prayerful and live with intention and work towards God's new world working for a new world for everyone. As we said last week, the biblical vision is that when the saints go marching into a city, it's good news for all the people. However, it's always a dicey thing, requiring a massive amount of discernment to know exactly how we engage in the systems of this world without believing their false assumption that they are the main game that they are the center story, because they aren't. God is the center. The kingdom of God is the truest story. The new world, when it finally and beautifully arrives, it'll be God's doing and our obedience to it. And when we are faithful to this new world now, it's God's doing now. Now I wanted to mention, and I'm running out of time, but last week there was a passage we referred to, and I was going to go read it, Jeremiah 29, 1 to 9. Read it again this week. We talk about it a lot. But this is a place where God gives very particular instructions to God's people again, but this time they're in another city. This isn't the city of Jerusalem, this is the city of Babylon, and in this city that God also wants to become a, people, a place of shalom, a city of shalom, God gives very similar instructions. He tells the people to build houses and live in them, to settle into the neighborhoods in a way that asks your own responsibility to belong there, to plant gardens, to eat what they grew, to take care of your place, to do good work. To pray for the city to flourish. To pray for the city to flourish. And can I say again, I mean, this is just me being, saying what maybe a pastor you think is supposed to say. Um, As Christians, we can't say, we can't say that prayer is a small thing. I understand that some of us might use this as cover for never having to act. But prayer is not a small thing. It is appealing to the God of the universe. Karl Barth said, To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And then he said to marry off your kids to nurture families, to multiply. I just want, I just want us to hear, these things are really human, everyday things. Uh, Now, some of us may be called to other kinds of things that feel far less human. Uh, These things are the things right in front of us. And whenever we feel overwhelmed because we don't know what to do, or the divisions and divisiveness feels like it's so large and so deep that we don't, we can't quite comprehend the, the, this on the large level. We can do what God told his people to do in Babylon and we can take care of what's right around us. Because in God's vision, we're not building a ghetto, we're building a city. So you may think, I don't know what to do. Well. Live in your life well. Find some people around you who are afraid and go alongside them. Whether you agree with them politically or not matters nothing. If they're afraid, you go with them. Find someone that looks through the, the prism of our politics differently than you and try to find a person of peace among that community and have a conversation. My hunch is that you'll actually find more you share than you think you do. Learn to listen. If anything is screaming anything at us, we have got to learn to listen outside our circles. <laughs> we, can't, we can't wall someone off as one thing because of how what we presume about them because of their political affiliation or their vote or the bumper stickers on their car We're God's image bearers. We're not a bumper sticker. You can do the little thing. You can try to be faithful to what you know around you. And then you can ask for God's mercy for the places where we just are confused and don't know and keep trying to move and learn and listen. So I wanted to leave you with a a quote. Um, from Rick Bass. Glaciers are the result of a wobble, a hitch in the earth's rotation. Glaciers get built or not built simply miraculously because the earth is canting a single one trillionth of a degree in this direction for a long period of time rather than in that direction. When I am alone in the woods and the struggle seems insignificant or futile, or when I am in a public meeting and I'm being kicked all over the place, I tell myself that little things matter, and I believe they do. I believe that even if your heart leans just a few degrees to the left or the right of center, that with enough resolve, which can substitute for mass, and enough time, a wobble will one day begin, and the ice will begin to form, where for a long time previous there might have been none. Keep it up for a lifetime or two or three and then one day it must. The ice will begin to slide. Now it's not lost on me that next week, our church, we will affirm again our rule of life. And at the heart of our rule of life is our baptism, The story of the faith is told in the creeds. It's this call to be together as a people living in hospitality, restoration, and shalom, what we've just talked about. So when we say shalom, part of what we're saying is that we as a community want to participate in living into this kind of city that God hopes for us to be. And I think political action, voting. I think all these things are an important part of our civic life, but I will be very honest and say I believe in the kingdom of God more. I believe that the people of God, bearing witness to the truth of the kingdom of God, standing beside those who are hurting, learning what it means to to work with the other, to be faithful, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the truest action that we are called to. And so when we take our rule of life, that's what we're calling one another to, to this work. When you leave today, if you don't have uh, a copy of rule of life or if you're new to our community and this is the first time you've done that, I'll invite you to grab one of these on the back table. If you don't want to do that, it will also go out in our weekly email. And I pray that next week as we affirm this way of living together, and it doesn't answer all the questions, (laughs) it doesn't gloss over the fact that in this room there are a multitude of opinions and at times differing about what being a person of shalom is going to call us to in a particular moment. What we're committing to is to pursuing that hope, that future, listening to God, trying to be faithful, and receiving those who see it differently than us. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.